how many of you have heard the name Corey Ten Boom? Many of you. Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian, and her family helped the Jews escape from from the uh, Nazi soldiers during World War II. And because her family helped the Jews escape, she was caught and imprisoned in a German concentration camp where she lost some of her family. She wrote the book called The Hiding Place. And if you haven't read the book, there's also a movie called The Hiding Place. It's a very good book and a very powerful movie. But shortly before her death, Corey Ten Boom told Chuck Swindoll, she said, well, Pastor Swindoll had four children. And she said, do you know, Pastor Chuck, I have learned in my years that we must always hold things loosely. The more we love these little ones, the more it will hurt when the father pries them out of our fingers and takes them from us. Corey Tenboom was a wise woman. And Genesis 22, that we're going to look at today, is the story of holding things loosely through faith. It is about a great patriarch named Abraham. His name means the father of many. And when the Lord called this great saint to follow him, his name was Abram, which means exalted father. But all that changed with Genesis 12, verse 1. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 12. And this is called the Abrahamic Covenant. Just a few pages ahead. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The Abrahamic covenant. When God makes a covenant, he cannot break it. Here we see three things that God promised Abraham. One, a land. Two, a great nation through his descendants. And three, a spiritual seed. Through which all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now turn to Genesis 15. I don't have time to get into all three of those. We'd be here till 6 o'clock. But I will just talk about the second one. The great nation. His descendants. In Genesis 15.5. Look what God said to Abraham. He took him outside and said. Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So shall your offspring be. Basically, Abraham said amen to the Lord. So be it. I believe. Now turn to Genesis 17.5. I want to ask you a question. What did God promise to Abraham that we just read? That his offspring, that his descendants shall be as numerous as the stars. I want to ask you, can you count the stars? Can you count the stars? I went outside last night, tried to count the stars. I couldn't. 
There's too many. Yet at the time, Abram was 75 years old and childless. As Abram began to follow the Lord, the Lord changed his name to Abraham. Look at Genesis 17.5. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. The father of many. Can you imagine the reaction of all his friends when he announced his new name? My name is Abraham, the father of many. But wait a minute. <laughs> You're childless. <laughs> You're childless and you don't have any children. <laughs> and I bet that even though his friends probably mocked him, he placed his faith in the Lord. He, verse uh, 6 tells us, he believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. That is called justification by faith. Listen to me. That is how salvation worked then, and it is how salvation works today. You hear the promise of God, and you accept it by faith. You place your trust in the Lord. We are not saved by doing good works. We're not saved by coming to church. You are saved by believing that God has provided a sacrifice, a redeemer, a savior. And by the time we arrive at our text, turn to Genesis 21, Abraham had two sons. The first son, Ishmael, had been disinherited and had already left home. But in Genesis 21, 5, we see that Isaac is born. Genesis 21, 5 says, As God commanded him, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. (laughs) Isaac was the name of this son. Isaac means laughter. He was the son of promise. He was born to Abraham when he was 100 years old. Imagine how happy Abraham was. Imagine how proud he was of his beloved son. He was excited. This was the son of promise. He was bursting. He was full of joy. I remember when our third daughter was about to be born. And if you know me, you know, I grew up in a house of women my whole life. My mom, I have four sisters. Even the dog was a girl. (laughs) I, and I already had two beautiful daughters. And so I prayed to God, God, if it is your will, God has a sense of humor. Please give me a boy. Give me a boy, Lord. I've been around women my whole life, Lord. Give me a boy. And I even told Eva, Eva, because it's really her fault. I said, Eva, if you have a boy, I will get down on my knees right there, right there in the hospital. And I'm going to shout, thank you, Jesus. Right there. If you have a boy, we're going to get a new diaper bag. We're going to send out announcements and and I'm going to call everybody. Well, praise the Lord. My daughter, Jessie, was born to us, our third daughter. And she got all the hand-me-downs. But I don't... I just want to say... Jesse has been a blessing to us 
And I, I, I want to say it just as it says in Ruth 4.15, Jesse. You have been better than seven sons. And I mean that. You have been better than seven sons. You've been a blessing to me and your mom. I have learned. I have learned as a parent. As a father. That you have to hold your children loosely. You have to hold your grandchildren loosely. You cannot hold them tight. And ultimately the decision to hold anything loosely. Especially when it comes to our children. When it comes to our parents. When it comes to our families. When it comes to our friendships and relationships. Is an act of faith. Our natural tendency. Our human instinct. Is to hold things tightly. It's, 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 it's human instinct. And the more we love them, the tighter we hold them. And all I can say is that releasing them and giving them back to God is trusting God to do what is right. You trust God. And that's hard. Because we don't want to release them. We don't want to give them back. This message this morning is about an elderly man, Abraham, who modeled his faith. He modeled his faith. And there's four points. The ultimate cost, the unconditional compliance, the unwavering confidence, and the uncompromising commitment. And let me start with point one, the ultimate cost. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, verse one, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. The Bible says that God tested Abraham. This was not, I'm going to say that again, this was not a temptation to do evil. Because James 1.13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God does not tempt man with evil. So what does this mean? Some people get confused between trials and temptations. And the difference is this. Trials are sent by God to cause us to stand. Temptations are sent by the devil to cause us to stumble. One is meant for our maturity. The other is meant for our misery. God uses trials to bring out the best in us. And the devil uses temptations to bring out the worst in us. And let me say, and you're going to hear this a couple times, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. I'm going to say it one more time. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. The Hebrew word, NASA, translated tested in in Genesis 22, has the idea of proving the quality of something, which usually involves trials, some kind of trials. You put it through some kind of a trial. That's the testing. So God wanted to test Abraham's To test Abraham, he wanted to prove the validity, the authenticity of Abraham's faith. God is omniscient, which is a fancy word for meaning all-knowing. God knew Abraham's heart better than Abraham did. And the purpose of this test wasn't to satisfy God's curiosity. The purpose of this test was to be a test of obedience for Abraham. That's what it was. It had nothing to do with God's curiosity. This was the ultimate cost. The cost is unfathomable. Does God tell Abraham to sacrifice his cow, his sheep, his goat? No. 
And I want you to notice something, how the cost is constantly kept in front of Abraham. Basically, God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And may I add right here, probably more than life itself and offer him to me as a burnt offering. Can you imagine the pain of hearing those words? After waiting for 25 years for his promised son, God says, I want him back. That must have broken Abraham's heart. After all, Isaac was the son of promise. He represented all the promises of God to Abraham. Abraham, Isaac represented life. He represented laughter. He represented a legacy. And what about the promise that God made to Abraham? That he would be the father of many. If Isaac is killed, then the promises would die. And the hopes of Abraham would be worthless. Worthless if his son died. Turn to verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. The word burnt offering, this meant the whole burnt offering. The Hebrew word hola, not the Spanish word hola. The Hebrew word hola refers to putting the entire animal on the altar. Hoof, head, tails, horns, everything, all of it. With other types of sacrifices, the worshiper was permitted to partake and eat part of that offering. As if to partake in the ceremony with God. But not with the Ola. The Ola was to be entirely consumed by fire. It signified a complete sacrifice. In other words, Abraham was to sacrifice the entire body of his beloved son on the altar and give him back to God. That's the sacrifice that, it was, that is talked about here. You know, I've seen something in my 30 years. I've seen that older parents seem to enjoy their children a little bit more than younger parents. Not because they're, they're more experienced or anything. It just seems that they're, they're older. They have a little more time. And they seem to have, have them at a time when they're, it's late in life. And so when older parents have these young children, they're just excited. They're so happy. And when we read the words that God tested Abraham, and he remember he was 100 years old, 100 something, they take on a whole new meaning. And it was bad enough that he had to sacrifice his son, but now you're the one that has to kill him. What a cost. What a test. Abraham waited 25 years. Now you want me to give him back? The question is, did Abraham love the gift of God? Or did Abraham love the giver more? My question to you, do you love the gifts God gives you or do you love the giver? Don't be so quick to answer. There is a cost. You have to give up all of yourself for all of him. You have to give up the Ola, all of yourself, the entire sacrifice for all of him. There is a cost. Luke 9, 23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross 
daily and follow me. Matthew 10, 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There is a cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said in page 99, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You are not your own. That's heavy right there. You are bought with a price. You have no rights. You are not your own. This means giving God the most important thing in your life. God wants the entire, the whole sacrifice, not half a sacrifice. We can't just say, oh, God, I'm just going to give you half. That's it. No, God wants all. God wants us to love the giver more than the gifts. That's the ultimate cost. Second point. The unconditional compliance. Look at verse 3. 3 and 4. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. I want to ask you a question. Did Abraham hesitate? Did Abraham procrastinate? No. The verse 3 says, early in the morning. He never wavered. He complied. He obeyed the Lord. That, there was a lot of things to do. He had just been told in verse 2, I want, this is what I want you to do. Uh, give him as a, a sacrifice, a burnt offering. And in verse 3, he had to prepare the wood. He had to uh, uh, load the donkey. He had to tell his two helpers. He had to Sharpen the knife. He had to get the fire. He had to get the food for the journey. There was a lot of things to do. And what impresses me is that in between verse 2 and 3, you see nothing. No delays, no hesitation. God tells him what to do in verse 2. And in verse 3, immediately he sets out the next morning. That is an unconditional compliance. And what that tells me is that procrastination is a form of disobedience. To go from Beersheba to Mount Moriah in Jerusalem is about 50 miles. Abraham lived in Beersheba, and and God told him to go to this mountain, which is in Jerusalem. It's a three-day trip. This wasn't just going to take a couple hours. It took Abraham three days traveling with his son. For three days, Abraham considered this difficult test. And And a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. It was a difficult test. Each day knowing that at any time he could turn back. Each step knowing that every step was a step step closer to his son's death. Did he turn around? No. Did he say, oh, forget about this? No. Did he disobey? No. He was compliant. This is unconditional compliance. There comes a point in your life when you stop questioning God and you just trust and obey like we sang today. The Bible says he rose early the next morning. He simply gathered all the things he needed to worship God, and he headed to the place that God had told him about. His heart was fixed on doing what God had told him to do. That is unconditional compliance. What a model of faith and obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.
Each step was heart-wrenching, but he continued. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Oh, that we would just trust and obey. Hebrews eleven eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. 1 Peter 4, 15 and 15, 14 and 15. Don't turn to it. It says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. God desires obedience, not just going through the motions. And Abraham modeled these two great acts of obedience. One, when he was called to leave the land of Ur and go to Canaan. And two, when he went to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. His heart was right with God. That is unconditional compliance. You say, well, what does it matter? Why do I have to obey? Because our obedience demonstrates our love for the Lord. Not like King Saul, whose heart was far from God, and he disobeyed God. God cares about our obedience. That's why he says, as obedient children, and by faith Abraham obeyed. And to obey is better than sacrifice. God cares about our obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. So one, we see the ultimate cost. Two, we see the unconditional compliance. Three, we see the unwavering confidence. Verse 5. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. When they arrived at the place, Abraham instructed his two servants to wait while he and his son Isaac went to worship. And in the NIV, I read that on purpose because it says, we will worship and then we will come back. See the repeated plural pronoun? We will worship and we will come back. Well, how could that be if he obeyed God and killed his son? How could both of them return? There's two truths to be pointed out. One, Abraham's confidence in the promises of God. Abraham had faith. He had confidence. Faith is another word for confidence. The Greek word pistis. That even if he was about to kill Isaac, God would keep his promise. Remember Genesis 12? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and I will make you a blessing. Genesis 15, that your offspring will be as numerous as the stars, if indeed you can count them. Genesis 17, you shall be the father of many. Abraham knew that the dead couldn't father children. How could he believe that God would keep his promise? The writer of Hebrews answers that question. If you keep something there in Genesis 22 and turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews eleven seventeen. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, 
And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. I want you to notice something there. It doesn't say that when God tested him that, that Abraham was willing to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Notice what it says. It says offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It's in the past tense. Simply stated, Abraham knew that if he killed Isaac, God would bring him back from the dead. Abraham believed in the resurrection. And that's the hope he had. Abraham Abraham had unwavering confidence in the promises of God. That's why he said, we will come back to you. Abraham believed in a God that could raise the dead. Amen? That's standing on the promises of God. Oswald Chambers, in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, wrote... Faith is not a pathetic sentiment, but robust, vigorous confidence built on the fact that God is holy love. Faith is the heroic effort of your life. You fling yourself into reckless confidence on God. God has ventured all in Jesus Christ to save us. Now he wants us to venture our all in in abandoned confidence in him. The real meaning of eternal life is a life that can face anything it has to face without wavering. Without wavering. That's exactly what Abraham did. He did not waver. A faith that cannot be tested, cannot be. Remember the Bible says that God is testing Abraham. Abraham has this unwavering confidence. That even if I do offer Isaac up as as a sacrifice, God will still keep his promise, even if he has to raise him from the dead. And when God makes a covenant, he cannot break it. Faith is standing on the promises of God. And the promises of God are unshakable and unbreakable. You know, brothers, sisters, we are all going to die someday if Christ doesn't return soon. But you can rest assured that if you are a child of God, that God has prepared a place for you. John 14, 3 says, I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. First Thessalonians four sixteen. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will ever be with the Lord forever. That gives me real peace. I can release my children. I can release my parents. I can trust that I can give my loved ones back to God. Because you can trust the unbreakable, unshakable promises of God. So for one, we see Abraham's confidence in the promises of God. Two, we see Isaac's confidence in his father. When I was a boy, I remember seeing these like pictures in catechism. And Isaac was a little boy being sacrificed on this altar. And Abraham was this old man, you know, there with his hand ready to take his son's life. But look at verse 6. I want you to notice something. In verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. Do you know how heavy wood is? I usually get a cord of wood for the winter. And they just 
dump it there in my driveway and I have to go and cart it all the way back to the back and load it up and stack it. I didn't realize, because we never had a fireplace before, wood is heavy. Wood is heavy. I, I have two pieces in the car. I was going to bring them in and ask one of the kids to come lift it up, but I didn't want nobody to get a hernia. Um, it says here that, he, that Abraham placed this wood on his son. He laid it on his son. These two pieces I have must weigh about 15 pounds, just two pieces. And if, you, if you've ever had a fire going, you can't just put a couple of pieces in and forget about it. You've got to stoke that fire. You've got to get it going. And then you put the big heavy pieces on to, to keep it roaring. I love a roaring fire. Wood is heavy. And so to me, Isaac was no tiny little six-year-old boy. Isaac was probably about 15 to 18 years old. Some commentators even say 20. A young adult. Isaac, the point is, Isaac was a young adult who could carry a load of heavy wood. That's important. And as I read verse 7 and 8, I want you to let your imagination envision this touching moment between an elderly father who dearly loved his son. The New English translation captures the emotion best while preserving the most literal translation of the Hebrew text. Verse 7 and 8 in the NET says, Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. What is it, my son? He replied. Here is the fire and the wood, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? God will provide for himself the lamb. For the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them continued together. Isn't that a great answer? Abraham didn't say, oh, you're the sacrifice. (laughs) He didn't do that. No. He said, God will provide. And I read it like that on purpose because in this verse, you can almost hear the trembling in Abraham's voice. God will provide the lamb. For the burnt offering, my son. The moment that Abraham had dreaded the most had come. Isaac must be told the truth, but not yet. A little bit longer. Not till that last moment. And what I'm impressed with is that his words were prophetic, weren't they? They were prophetic. Isaac was a type of Christ. I'm going to give you five points. I didn't put them in your bulletin. I ran out of room. Isaac was a type of Christ. One, the miraculous birth. Two, the only beloved son, the son of promise. Three, he carried the wood. Four, he was a willing sacrifice. Just like it says in Philippians 2.8 about Jesus Christ, that he humbled himself and he became obedient even to the death of the cross. And five, it occurred on Mount Moriah. And many Bible commentators claim that Mount Moriah and Calvary are identical. So Isaac is a type of Christ. Abraham's faith had matured to where his unwavering confidence in the promises of God gave him to risk everything to obey. We read in verse 9 that after they arrived at Mount Moriah, that Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood, and then he had to search for his son because Isaac had hidden. No. 
<laughs> we don't read that, do we? Look at verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Look at the remarkable faith and courage of Isaac. Abraham told Isaac, and it doesn't tell us what he said, but Abraham told Isaac, my son, you are the sacrifice. Now, I don't know how he told him. I'm only going to speculate that he said, son, you are the son of promise. You are part of the covenant. And God has asked me, not asked, my God has commanded me to give you back. And that's what I have to do. What's amazing to me is you never hear about this when you hear these sermons, that Isaac didn't run away. Isaac didn't wrestle or plead with his dad. No, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You know how kids get, I don't want that. No. Isaac could have bolted down that mountain. He could have bolted down a little 15, 18-year-old boy. His 120-year-old dad wasn't going to catch him. He could have taken off. But yet he allowed himself to be bound up and placed on the altar. Why? Why did he do that? Because Isaac trusted his father. And his father trusted God. Isaac didn't learn about his father's faith during those three days on the way up to the mountain. Abraham had modeled his faith over the years. What Abraham gave to Isaac was not religion. What Abraham gave to Isaac was not do as I say, not as I do. See, that's religion. But he gave to his son a living, real, God-honoring faith. Abraham's faith was bigger than his fear of losing his son. That is how you teach your children. You teach them by the way you live. Faith is caught, not taught. Maybe some of you hearing this message this morning are in a similar situation as Abraham. Maybe your relationship with your child is strained. Maybe your relationship with your parents or even your spouse or your relative is in turmoil. Maybe you know someone who is seriously ill and has cancer and there is no cure. And you have reached a point in your life where there is no other choice but to commit them completely to God. You have prayed for a resolution and nothing has changed. You can't heal them. You can't change them. Maybe your child is being mistreated. Maybe your child is not fully surrendered to Christ. Maybe there is division in your family. And, you know, it comes to a point where only God can intervene. My Advice to you is to loosen your grip. Let them go. Don't hold on to them too tightly. And lay them on the altar of sacrifice as an offering to God. This is the bottom line. This is the heart of my message. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, listen to this. If you love it, let it go. If you love it, let it go. And if it really is yours, God will give it back to you. And if he doesn't, thank him because he has saved you from a fate worse than death. 
because you will not be useful for God if you're being distracted and doing all those other things. So one, we see the ultimate cost. Two, we see the unconditional compliance. Three, the unwavering confidence. And my last point, four, the uncompromising commitment. Look at verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him, called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Here is Abraham standing by the altar. He probably had tears in his eyes as he looked down on his beloved son and as he raised the knife in the air, ready to plunge it into his son. Isaac, I'm just going to assume Isaac probably closed his eyes as he's waiting for that fatal, deadly blow to come down. When suddenly the angel said, Abraham, Abraham. I want to ask you, why do you think the angel said it twice? Anybody. Why do you think the angel of the Lord said it twice? For what? A warning? Yeah. To express urgency. To express urgency. If, if, if you saw somebody's house is on fire, are you going to go up there? Hi, how you doing? How's it going? I, I'm, I'm just walking by and I, I wanted to tell you something. You know, I think there's a fire up in, in, in the attic there I see coming out the roof. No, you're not going to do that. Oh, hi, my name is Danny. How you doing? I've never met you. I just want to let you know that there's, there's a fire upstairs. No, you're going to go over there. Fire! Fire! And then urgency. You're going to repeat it. And that's what the angel of the Lord did here. And then verse 12, it says, Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham had passed the ultimate test with uncompromising commitment. And I'm sure Isaac was relieved, but not more than Abraham. Not more than Abraham. Abraham's willingness to give up his only son demonstrated that while he loved the gift, he loved the giver more. Abraham was willing to give his dearest and best to God. And what it shows is that Abraham loved God above all things, even his son. I want to ask you a question. Did God really want Isaac? Did God really want Isaac? No. You know what he wanted? It wasn't Isaac that he wanted. He wanted Abraham. He wanted all of Abraham. And he got it. If you love it, let it go. And if you don't have love for God above all, your family, your possessions, your treasures, your dreams then your love is too small. The Hebrew word, let's turn to verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. The Hebrew word here means a thicket of thorns. His head was caught in the thorns. God said, Abraham, take the ram I have provided and sacrifice him instead. That ram caught in the thicket, crowned with thorns, became the sacrifice. That day in the place of the one who would have been sacrificed. I want to ask you, who else wore a crown of thorns? Mm. 
Verse 14. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. The Lord provided a ram to become Isaac's substitute. Jesus became our substitute. Because we are sinners going to hell and we need a savior. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want you to put yourself in Isaac's sandals this morning. His father comes and unties him. And then he takes the ram, ties it up, picks it up and puts it on top of the altar, on top of the, of the wood. And he takes the knife and he plunges the knife and into the ram. Can you see the tears running down Isaac's face as he watched that lamb bleed to death? Isaac knew that he was the one that should have died, but he lived because another had taken his place. I believe Isaac's heart was full of gratitude because of what the Lord had provided for him. And I want to ask you, will you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Will you Accept his death on the cross to pay for your sins. Will you come and die? Will you devote your life completely to God? May we all be able to say, the Lord is my provider. You can close your Bibles. In ending, during our service a couple months ago, I had gotten up to go to the bathroom And as I got to the foyer, this brother was just coming in. And I didn't ask, why are you late? Which I usually would have done. I asked, where's your wife? And he told me his wife was at Sequoia Hospital, the emergency room, with his son because his son had trouble breathing and couldn't breathe. And I could see on his face that he was worried. And because of the love I have for this family... I was immediately worried with him. So I said to him, let's go outside and pray. We went outside. And I remember we sat on this little wooden green bench. And I prayed for his son. I prayed for his wife. And then I prayed for his family in general. And when I finished, he prayed for his family. And as he finished, he prayed, Lord God, We don't know if our son will die, but if he's going to die, please give us the strength to bear it. I was shocked. I know this man. I know he loves his son dearly. But his son is not his life. God is. So he holds his son's life open with open hands, knowing that God can take him at any minute. And all I can say is, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning. And I pray that you help us to follow Abraham's example. That we would love the giver more than the gifts you have given us. Turn our hearts, Lord, to surrender all to you. I thank you that 
you are good. I thank you for your mercy and your grace upon our lives. And I pray, Lord, we would do what you've called us to do, to have unwavering confidence and uncompromising commitment. Pray you be glorified and exalted. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen.